does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Still here in the drivehubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garris on the ones and twos. We talked a lot about Anthony Richardson in that first segment, rightfully so, because he is the future of the Colts. And one comparison he's drawn throughout the pre-draft process was to Josh Allen, the superstar for the Bills. We have Joe Biscaglia, who covers the Bills for the Athletic on the line. Joe, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. I shot Joe a text, and he responded in like two minutes, and I was like, wow, that is efficiency right there. You didn't hit him in Slack? You sent him a text? No. The the Slack channel allows me me to stalk my coworkers and get their number right away so I can like skip a step. (laughs) But, you know, you're revealing too much of the information, Jimmy. My bad. I'm sorry. But no, I'm just joking. Joe, I appreciate you for having your number in Slack, first and foremost, but um, jokes aside, we talked so much about Anthony Richardson's development, and one of the guys, like I said, he's drawn comparisons to is Josh Allen. So you've been on the Bills beat for a few years now. What do you think of, or how would you quantify or describe the leap Josh Allen took from being sort of the risky pick to now being an NFL superstar? Yeah, so the fortunate part about being on the Bills beat as long as I have, and I started full-time in 2010. So I've seen some stuff in Buffalo. Um, And I saw EJ Manuel happen. And that that was kind of like the same, like, ball of clay argument, you know, like this big, strong-armed quarterback. He's got some mobility to his game. And it's like, okay, well, the the potential case is great, but what happens if, if it doesn't all go to plan? And that's what we kind of saw unfold. So, you know, Having that kind of skepticism going into a young quarterback, uh, once Josh Allen showed up, you could kind of notice the difference almost right away. And I know there are a lot of jokes about Josh Allen and his short area accuracy, his very first camp. And he like there was one clip that went viral of him just completely overshooting a swing pass into the out of bounds area. But you know, and that's what people hung on to. But in the meantime, throughout all the other practice time, you see. Just like this quicker processing, this uh, this ability to adapt his his mechanics from one practice to the next, from one week to the next, and that's something that he and uh, Brian Dable really worked hard on throughout his entire uh, his entire first couple of seasons, maybe two three seasons, and then that third season in in 2020 is when everything clicked. He became the franchise quarterback he was. So uh, I think the big part of it is knowing how to self scout and having that overall self-awareness, not thinking that you're too big for your britches for, for the job, um, and and then willing to adapt things that don't work out of your game and not just, you know, finding that same tendency again and again. Because going back to E.J. Manuel, you know, you could see these little flashes of light here and there, but he never had that ability to change, that ability to um, to change up his mechanics a little bit and really change his operating procedure within the pocket. One of the things that has really um, stood out the most about Josh Allen since he went from young quarterback with potential to top five quarterback in the league is how well his pocket presence kind of uh, became better 
over time. And he was not good early on. The first couple of years, he was like, he was gone at the first sign of pressure. And now, I mean, that's still there, slight, slightly bit, but he has become so much more poised in the pocket and it's allowed him to really uh, dice up the defense the way he wants. And if there's nothing out there, guess what? You got a six foot five, 240 pounder that can run people over. Yeah, big dude for sure. Did not want to get in the way of that if I was a defender. But when you look at you know what he's done for that franchise, obviously there was not an or on the depth chart in Buffalo for their quarterback position. But is he going to be out there? You know, during this game with against the Colts this, this weekend, has uh, that been determined? Yeah, he will not be playing in this one. Uh, Sean McDermott said that he will play at some point this preseason. My guess would be next week against the Steelers on the road. But how much, you know, maybe a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half. I know however much he ends up playing, Bills fans inevitably get ticked off because he's out there too long. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think he'll get some work, but just not this week. All I heard was that he's just ducking Anthony Richardson <laughs> and he's scared of him. That's the headline I'm going to write in my article later today. No, I'm joking. But um, I was just kind of curious, like, what's the point for him when it seems like all they ever talk about here is reps? And obviously where you're at, it's like, don't give him any reps. Like, save him for the regular season. So we'll see how it goes. I'll let Jimmy take over here. <laughs> I want to jump in with the Bills' perspective on all this. Joe Biscaglia, nice to take some time with us. Bills beat reporter for The Athletic. It feels like, zoomed out from the national perspective, that the Bills have gotten lost in what the last two years have been in the AFC, meaning the top earners of riches has been either Cincinnati making it to a Super Bowl and losing, or Kansas City continuing their dominance and ultimately winning the Super Bowl last year. When you look at Buffalo, when you talk to these guys, I assume there is a business-as-usual approach, but does it also feel like they've been forgotten about to some extent nationally and that there's that extra chip on their shoulder to remind people, hey, we're just as much of a contender because we have just as talented of a quarterback as any of those other teams? Yeah, oh, oh there definitely is. They... they uh they relish in the fact that, uh, you know, they have been, I guess, from a public perception standpoint, have been passed by, well, they've never gotten by the Chiefs, but have been passed by the Chiefs and now the Bengals. Um, you know, last year it was kind of interesting because they were they were the, the sheet pick, uh, Super Bowl favorites going into the year. I don't, I don't really know that they knew what to do with those expectations because they just, that just hasn't been the case in Buffalo ever. So, uh, so them going through that year, it was kind of interesting to see the season unfold the way that it did. And even though they had a really good regular season, they won 13 games out of 16. Um, but from from that perspective, it just, it just kind of fell short in, in the postseason. There were a lot of things that added to that too. They were mentally drained, physically drained from everything that happened to them throughout the season. But they're not making any, any, any excuses. For the most part, I absolutely hate this narrative. You know, the whole everybody's counting us out thing. But <laughs> this, this team, ever since McDermott took over, has just absolutely, like, uh, gravitated toward that line of thinking. Like, I remember uh, the Thanksgiving game back in 2019, which was the game for me uh, when the Bills were playing the Cowboys, which was the game for me when Josh Allen kind of arrived because mm-hmm. he took over that game. Um, I remember sitting there waiting to go in the locker room down in down at Cowboy Stadium, uh, watching the Bills go in the locker room, and, and the uh, and the defensive players were running in. He's like, which one of you, you all picked us? Which one of you all picked us? And I had to go up to the defensive players and, be, and were like, you know, literally all of us here did, so you're talking to the wrong people. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, that's the type of mentality that they had. They carried it into 2020, and 
2022, when they had all of these expectations, it, it almost felt like it wilted a little bit. The offense wasn't as efficient. Um, certainly the coordinator change from Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey certainly played into the factor there. But, you know, by leaps and bounds, I think they're really enjoying the fact that everyone's paying attention to the Chiefs. Everyone's paying attention to the Bengals. Everyone's paying attention to Kellen Moore and the, and the Los Angeles Chargers now. So that way they forget about what's going on in Buffalo where they might just uh, sneak in and maybe get to the AFC title game, game or, or further. I won't forget about Josh Allen. He's going to be on the cover of Madden here next week. Um, but but among other reasons why I won't forget about him. No uh, one likes him, though. No one ever picks him. Everyone's against him. That's yeah. why he's going to be on the cover of Madden. What, yeah, exactly. Whatever happened, obviously like he, he's ready to go, and it appears like it was a non-issue. But like, is there any residual effects with what happened with Stephon Diggs earlier in the year? Or was that just a big nothing no. burger? Yeah, that's 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 done. I don't think it was a nothing burger uh, completely. Uh, they, I think, I think Stefan wanted uh, his voice heard in whatever context it was. It never saw the light of day. I think they've, you know, moved on from it. Whatever the heck it was, he believes in Josh Allen. They've got a great chemistry. Stefan Diggs has been uh, really, really good at training camp this year, as you'd imagine. Even though he's going into his age twenty nine, age thirty season coming up here. But, and, you know, he was engaged the entire time. Like, he's, he was getting into it with defensive backs. He was, you know, you know interacting with the crowd mid-practice while special teams was, stuff was going on. So, so he's, that's, that's completely a done issue. I think he just wants to win more than anything. And I think there was some residual frustration for how their offensive performances kind of went down last year. Uh, I think that, that could have been something to it. But for the most part, it's just a guessing game. Joe, how is our guy Naheem Hines doing? Uh, mm. Fan favorite here in Indianapolis. Great locker room guy. And obviously, we heard, saw the news about the um, jet ski thing. It was not something positive, but how is he doing since then? Yeah, he, he I mean, every interaction I've had with him is just a great guy. Um, when, it, when that news came down, we haven't seen him since that uh, because they've been away at training camp. They're one of the last teams remaining that actually travel for training camp. Mm. So they go about an, an hour and a half down, uh, down the highway here. Uh, and there were reports that he went through his ACL surgery. I think the Bills were, were very disappointed because – it was sneaky because everyone looked at, oh, they signed Damian Harris, they signed Latavius Murray, that one of those two guys is going to be the backup. I think Naheem Hines had just as good of a shot or if not a better shot to be James Cook's backup over those two guys. So they were definitely disappointed. They loved what he did in the spring, and now it's just a matter of uh, him rehabbing. They've got him under contract for another year, but that's a, a pretty fat contract. I think he's around like $5 million or something uh, against the cap in 2024. So uh, he's either going to need to renegotiate that maybe or, or you know, maybe, maybe uh, it, his time in Buffalo came, came to a close before they wanted it to. But, but, yeah, a very disappointing story, and you feel for the guy because, you know, to get your season cut short, especially right in the middle of your prime, that, that's tough stuff. So if one understand, did they ever – determine if it's like a non-football injury and like obviously you know the ramifications of that you wouldn't get paid have they come to a conclusion for that with him yeah they've been they've been extremely tight-lipped on that uh general manager brandon bean is usually really forthcoming when it comes to how much how much uh space he has on the cab what 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 type of moves you can make and how it affects the salary cap but he didn't even want to touch it so so yeah there's 
they're they're not even uh, they're not even entertaining answering that question. Gotcha. Bills beat reporter Joe Biscaglia of the Athletic with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Joe, you mentioned James Cook for, from one James Cook to another. Uh, I, I just I, I find it funny in general, but one also, great running back to I, another. I, I, I was exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, he's always on my fantasy football radar. I think I have him in a dynasty league, uh, both from an on-field standpoint and from I guess a usage standpoint. It sounds like he's going to be the the clear-cut number one. How's James Cook looked in training camp? What are you expecting from him this season? Uh, it's good to talk with a fellow Dino guy. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, James Cook, to me, is the unquestioned number one in Buffalo. I, I know Damian Harris was the big to-do, like I mentioned, uh, because they signed him, but wasn't really that big of a contract. I mean, you're looking at one year, 1.4 mil in guarantees. Latavius Murray had, I think, a uh, little over – 800,000 in guaranteed money on a one-year deal. They have been talking a big game about James Cook and how they believe that that he has the potential. Uh, They want to see a step from him. That was a challenge basically Sean McDermott gave to him in the spring workouts. And then to open up training camp, offense coordinator Ken Dorsey used the term three down back when talking about Cook's potential. I think what kind of he gets kind of pigeonholed into is the thought that he's this small running back and he can't do it because he's under that 200 pound threshold, which uh, even though he's like what 199, 198 or something like that. Um, I, they like his in between the tackle running style because he can, if, if he hits the right hole, which is, has, has been an ongoing process for him from his rookie year. And that's what he got better at as the year went on last year. Um, if, if that starts to pop, then he's going to be, a really big piece of this offense. Of course, the pass catching stuff, not only is he, you know, the dump off guy and, and, you know, that's, that's a big thing. Like Josh Allen usually doesn't target his, uh, his running backs in, in, uh, within the game, but James Cook is not Devin Singletary. James Cook can get down the field. He, there was one play last year. I think uh, he, he wiggled free on a, on a improvisational play from, from Josh Allen and wound up bringing in like a 40, maybe 45 yard gain. Uh, and it was a beautiful catch. He was running running around like a receiver. So that's the type of stuff that they see from him that they're just not getting from Devin Singletary, uh, Zach Moss, who's now in Indy, um, and you know guys like Damian Harris, Latavius Murray. Like that, James Cook is the only one on this uh, on this roster with that skill set. So you know I, I think I think they're pegging him to be a significant contributor this year, the unquestioned starter. I would not be surprised if he's somewhere between 60 to 65% of offensive snaps this season, barring injury. Joe, last thing I'll ask before I let you go, got to ask about DeMar Hamlin. How is he doing? Mm -hmm. Rodney Thomas II is one of his best friends. The Colts uh, safety spoke very highly of him when he was going through this whole ordeal and then spoke highly of him again when he came out on the other side and obviously returned to football. So how has he looked and will he play Saturday? Yeah, we don't know yet. Um, you know, they've been kind of tight-lipped with that just because they don't want to throw expectations on him. But what I will tell you is DeMar Hamlin has been out in practice participating as a full participant every single day that they've had a training camp practice, whether it's full pads, shells, whatever the case. He's been out there. Um, they put him out in team drills. He's uh, He's gotten a couple uh, – Thud, big contacts, and no no tackles just yet. So maybe that's the next stage of his uh, reintroduction to professional football. But but yeah, I think as long as uh, I would anticipate that as long as he doesn't have like a a, a setback and he just doesn't feel ready, um, then I would anticipate him playing. How much playing time he'll get, whether or not he'll be on special teams, 
big TBD there. But uh, but yeah, he's done everything they've wanted to see from him, and and uh, it looks like he's there's there's no residual yet. But as we know, uh, progress is never linear when it comes to something mental, and so they're just giving him the time and space to be able to get to that spot when he is most comfortable. Gotcha. Well, look, Joe, I really appreciate it. I will not be making the trip to Buffalo, so you can do all the work for me instead. But <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, man. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Joe Buscalia, who covers the bills for The Athletic. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Still here in the Drive, Hubler.com studio. I'm James Ward alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garris on the ones and twos. We'll have Doug LaMarie's on the line here soon. Covers the Buckeyes for the podcast, and he's on the line now. Doug, how you doing? I want to talk about transition before we get into uh, all things Big Ten, but you've uh, turned into a full podcaster on me, so how's that life treating you? Yeah, it's strange. You know, I I worked at Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Plain Dealer for 18 years and covering Ohio State and writing a lot of stuff and started a podcast there in 2015. And then, like you said, I'm I'm podcasting full-time. We have a YouTube show, podcast on the podcast, if you can find find it anywhere you find podcasts or on YouTube. Um, And so, but I always say, talking's easy, writing's hard. So uh, I'm, I'm not too sad to be doing mostly talking now. <laughs> That's awesome. Happy for you, man. And obviously, you stayed put. You're not switching beats or anything like that. So we'll start at the top with you know the Big Ten realignment, a lot of the things going on with expanding the conference and the state of college football. And as you know, covering the Ohio State, the Buckeyes, um, they're always in that conversation when it comes to top-tier programs. So what has been the reaction around Columbus to um, the conference expanding and obviously knowing that whatever happens, Ohio State, for better or worse, usually for better, is going to be okay because of how potent their football program is? Yeah, I mean, I think initial reaction is sort of like, man, what? Like, are, you know, the Ohio State <laughs> football team and all these other sports are going to have to fly into Oregon and Washington to play games. But – I do think people have come around on it, and I do think that there is a belief, and I think this is right, that the Big Ten's getting stronger. When you think about what Oregon and Washington offer as football programs right now, and of course what USC is going to bring to the table as a football team, the success that Michigan is now having, Penn State I think is lined up for a really good football season, Wisconsin's. I think trying to elevate and Ohio State is still being Ohio State. You know, I, I, I covered this, co- this conference for a long time in the, the 2000s, you know, 2000s, 
2002 through 2010 or so where it felt like nobody could challenge Ohio State. And the conference is so much stronger than it used to be. They got some travel logistics to work out, but I, I think people in Columbus, around Ohio, and around the Big Ten are excited and should be excited about the future of football in the Big Ten. Doug, how much credit and praise both from Ohio State fans and Big Ten fans as a whole goes to the conference and the presidents for having this forward-thinking approach the last couple of years, realizing that it's either be the hunter or become the hunted and they've, I mean, I don't know if it would have gone this drastic the way it did for the Pac 12, but there's probably an alternate universe where maybe the Big Ten is floundering around right now if they would have been passive, if they would have sat by. And to your point, because they didn't do that and they were the aggressors, there is a sense of strength within the Big Ten conference now. How much that credit belongs to the presidents and to the commissioner? Yeah, I do think they've worked together pretty well. And and as you guys know, Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, announced this week that he's going to retire next summer. Mm-hmm. And and I had an interview with Gene Smith. It's available on the podcast feed where I asked him about that. Could there have been a world where the Big Ten's the one that broke up? Right? Sort of what you're talking about here. Why did it evolve this way? And I do think enough people care about college sports and college football in the Midwest that that's a little hard to picture. But when you think about the fact that from the traditional Big Ten, they, they've now added, you know, even going to back to Penn State in the 90s, that becomes an East Coast anchor school. You bring in Nebraska. I still think they could have lived without Rutgers. It's like, I don't know. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, yes, Rutgers was a great move. But when you think about they're now coast to coast, and it seems like this is what the world required I do think they get some credit for being forward-thinking. That starts with Jim Delaney, the former commissioner, starting the Big Ten Network, thinking about realignment this way. And when you see all these other conferences breaking up, Texas did not play nice in the Big 12, and the result is they're leaving. Florida State's acting like it wants to get out of the ACC. USC bails on the Pac-12. The Big Ten's work together pretty well, and that's why they're growing and staying together when so many other conferences are breaking apart. Doug, a lot of the conversation obviously has been around, okay, are we losing the traditions of college football? Are we losing the landscape that has kind of made, you know, it what it is, what made it different than being a professional league where you have sort of those regional rivalries and things like that? Do you think that's been overblown or do you think those statements are valid when it comes to the essence of college athletics? I think if that's what you're worried about, you're late. That's what I said. (laughs) Oregon and Washington coming to the Big Ten is not the time to get worried about that. Like you, it was this was this is a USC UCLA to the Big Ten conversation because that began the death of the Pac-12. This is a Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC conversation. We can go back to an ACC that now includes Boston College and Pitt and Syracuse in a league with North Carolina and Virginia and Miami and Florida State, like, where were you then, right? If, if that's where you are right now, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, you missed it. You missed the time to complain. <laughs> and so the thing that I've been trying to focus on is, if we really go through all the individual football programs, and listen, I've been saying all the other athletes that play all these other sports that don't make money, they do still matter, and you've got to let them have normal college lives while they're playing sports. And they have to work out these travel logistics. That is not nothing. 
But if you really think about the football fan bases and you run through the 69 teams in the Power Five right now, how many are really going to be worse off in the new world? Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and the Big 12, they'll be better off, I think. I think in the end, the four Pac-12 teams coming to the Big 10, they'll be better off. I think Oregon State, Washington State, if they land in some kind of league that combines with the Mountain West, they don't have to compete with USC anymore. I think they'll be better off. I think a lot of places in the end, yeah, you're, you're not playing the team down the street quite as much, but I don't think it's as dire as a lot of people in the last couple of weeks have been making it out to be. I actually think it has a chance to be really good in the end for college football. Doug Maurice with us, covers Ohio State on the podcast network. Always appreciate him making some time with us. Doug, this might be far-fetched on the surface, but... There's paranoia amongst some of the smaller schools than the Big Ten and smaller schools in any of these conferences where I know small schools relative word, but you know what I mean to the rest of the conference from a football program standpoint that, well, if they've added, what is to stop them from trimming fat? That's probably never, not probably, that'll never impact Ohio State, never impact Michigan, but it could impact teams more towards the bottom of the conference. Is that a legitimate fear? Maybe not now, but a sleep with one eye open message that perhaps as media rights deals occur that maybe six, seven years from now, there is some fat trimming in the Big Ten? So I think two things on that. One is I still don't think teams want to play 12 slobber knockers on their regular season schedule. The big dogs, I still think, want some little dogs on the schedule because you don't want it to become the NFL where every game's a coin flip. So I, I think that still is part of a holistic conference that when people talk about, are we going to get to a world where there's a 30-team mega conference at the top? You know, I don't think Ohio State wants to play Michigan, Penn State, USC every week. They still do want to play some Purdue's and Northwesterns in Illinois, right? So I, I don't think we'll get there. But the other thing is, Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, Illinois, Minnesota, all those teams every day should be down on their knees thanking the football gods. That wait, 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 wait. I'm an Illinois grad. Hold up, hold on. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm a Northwestern grad. Everybody, I'm an IU grad. they got to yeah. live in reality, baby. <laughs> Count the money while it's there. If you want to sleep with one eye open, but you should be thanking your lucky stars that you're not Washington State and Oregon State and Cal and Stanford already. Because these are the big dogs in the Big Ten who are driving this TV money, and they share it equally. And so Northwestern and Illinois and Indiana and Purdue and Minnesota already have more money coming in than they ever really have rights to think they should get. So take it for as long as you get it. And if it changes someday, man, you had a good run. But I don't think it's right around the corner that that the Big Ten's going to start booting people out or breaking off because I still think – they want a holistic conference top to bottom. That's true. That's fair. I will say this. I don't know how much time you've had to like look at the ramifications for the rest of the sports, but um, do you think about that or have there been conversations around campus, around Columbus, where the non-revenue sports feel like, hey, what the heck? I didn't maybe you know sign up for this, and I'm not going to be treated as um, – great as the football players and the basketball players where I might not be able to have, you know, chartered flights and things like that if I'm playing softball or volleyball or on the swim team, things like that. 
Yeah, it's real. I mean, there are a lot of conversations around that. And again, I was when I was talking to Gene Smith about this, like, I don't know, like, just because Washington and Oregon are in your conference now, does that mean that every non-rep sport has to play Oregon and Washington in a regular season? Like, why is that? Like, why do you have to do that? Yeah, you'll have a conference tournament at a neutral site. You can chase a conference championship before you get to your postseason. But I don't think we have to live in that world. But they're talking a lot about logistics of making West Coast swings. Do you maybe have, like, neutral site jamborees where you have a couple teams go somewhere and meet each other and play multiple teams? It's a real consideration for the families who want to see their kids play college sports. That's real. But I also said to Gene Smith, you're making all this money. Can't you solve some of these problems with money? Right? Fly the families. If you have a softball team at Oregon that has to go on a trip to play Rutgers in Maryland, and, oh, my gosh, my kid didn't sign up for that, fly the families to Maryland. You've got the money to do it. So when you make all this money, sometimes you can solve problems with money. And I do think they have to think that way when it comes to, like, the actual lives of the athletes and their families who are playing in on-rep sports. Well, Doug, I need you to argue on behalf of me and all aspects of my life when I say I need more money because <laughs> money would solve a lot of issues for me. I've never complained about a free flight, so that definitely would uh, go over well, I would assume, with a lot of you know different um, fan bases and different uh, family members for sure. Um, getting back to, I guess, the football side of it, though, from a competitive standpoint, how much do you think – They'll enjoy the, the, the that, you know, getting the, these sort of bouts with teams they normally probably wouldn't see, you know, during a regular Big Ten schedule. You know, you get a chance to see USC, you know, early in the season potentially. You get a chance to see UCLA. What do you think of those matchups and, and having those types of, I don't know, say rivalries, but just new tension, new animosity to kind of see where you're uh, you're stacking up? So I think it's good. I think people have to let go of their definition of conference, right? People are going to be wound up. How can you have a conference when you don't play everybody? It's like, listen, man, it's the TV network. It's all a TV show, right? So all this really is is getting on the same TV contract. So you're not going to play everybody all the time. I do think they can work out a schedule pretty easily where everybody in the old Big Ten winds up making one West Coast trip a year that I think you end up playing, right, two of the four of UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Washington every year for everybody else in the Big Ten. One's at home, one's away. You're not going to have Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana and Purdue making three West Coast trips in a year. So the people who are panicked about the travel for football, I don't think it's a huge deal. And then I do think in a world, you know, when you had East and West, Ohio State played Rutgers every year. Rutgers stinks. That's not fun. So now Ohio State doesn't have to play Rutgers every year. Also, Rutgers doesn't have to play Ohio State every year. So you spread it out a little bit. You keep the rivalries that matter most. Old Oak and Bucket, Illinois Northwestern, Ohio State, Michigan, of course. You keep those every year. And then everything else, you got some new faces. You got some good football teams. I think it's good. Again, if you run through the fan bases, I think you are getting more good than bad with these changes. And, yeah, you might get a West Coast game every now and then, but it's not fundamentally shifting, I think, the logistics of football fandom for the Big Ten. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today hey maurice with us host of the podcast covering all things ohio state and longtime reporter of all things ohio state athletics doug it appears at least from afar from both your reports and other beat writers on the ohio state beat that uh good little quarterback battle for ryan day between kyle mccord and devin brown any clear cut answers there just yet obviously still plenty of time to figure it out but uh what's the pulse in Columbus on who will be QB1 for them by the time that matchup against Indiana arrives in a couple weeks. So McCord's a year older. He's in year three. Brown's in year two. That's been the edge the whole way, right? Like, what's you know, they're not exactly equal because McCord's been around longer. We did get to watch the second practice that we've seen. We were there for practice one, and then we watched it this morning. They have a scrimmage tomorrow that Ryan Day has been pointing to as sort of a defining scrimmage of the preseason. That's how it works every year. I think he ideally would like to name a starting quarterback next week if somebody really seizes the job. And I think from what we saw today, to me, it it feels like McCord. I think Devin Brown maybe is just like a little looser with the ball. You can't make those mistakes. That experience comes in a little bit. I think Devin Brown's a little bit of a better athlete. Kyle McCord probably throws a little bit of a better ball. But they're close enough on both of those. It's it's been a real competition. They're splitting reps with the one. When we watch them, it's it's not McCord with the ones all the time and Brown with the twos. Not at all. The first team reps are pretty equal. But based on what I saw today, I, I think it is going to be Kyle McCord, and I would not be surprised if that becomes official sometime in the next seven days. Doug. I have to ask because this name comes up every other day here in yeah. Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. Marvin Harrison right Jr. Ask. <laughs> ask about MHJ, man. Ask it. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. I feel like every time he is brought up, everyone's like, build a statue or tank so we can build a statue in the future. Yeah. <laughs> How good is he? You've been around the game. You've been around Ohio State. Obviously, they've had a lot of great receivers, even in recent years, that have come out of there. But from what I've heard, from what I've you know, listen to Red talk to other reporters about, it seems like he is in a class of his own. And I guess from your perspective, how would you just describe what he brings to the table as a football player? Yeah, so we talk about this a lot at Ohio State. Like, I you do? think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> do we talk about Marv? We talk about Marv? What a surprise. <laughs> we talk about, like, the evolution of players within the Ohio State program. It's sort of like one of those, like, the evolution of man kind of graphics that they show. And I do kind of feel like Marvin Harrison Jr. is maybe the final evolution of what they've been building over the years here. And you talk, you know, Terry Glenn and David Boston and back to Chris Carter and like the great receivers of the past. But then even, you know, Terry McLaurin out of Indianapolis and then what they've done lately with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. He's bigger than them. 
He works harder. He works as hard as any Ohio State player I've seen in 18 years. Michael Thomas, who then, who briefly maybe was the best receiver in the NFL before he got hurt in New Orleans, he's the, the nephew of Keyshawn Johnson. He fought like a pro at Ohio State. Michael Thomas was different. And when he got to the league, you saw that. Marvin Harrison Jr. thinks like a pro at Ohio State. I think when he gets to the league, he's going to be different. He wants to work on yards after the catch. They're going to play him all over the field this year. He's going to be in the slot a little bit. So I think he's had a chance to be a little more of an explosive playmaker after the catch. But in terms of route running, hands, going up and getting the ball, being physical, I think he's the best that Ohio State has seen, and that's been the best receiver room in the country. So everything you hear is legit. I think defenses are going to try to stop him, but I don't think they'll be able to, and I think he's the best receiver in college football and will probably be the best receiver that Ohio State's ever produced. I know I'm pressing the fast-forward button multiple weeks here, and it's a very tough question to answer, but I have to ask it uh, selfishly on my own accord. Uh, Ohio State favored by seven against Notre Dame on September the 23rd. Uh, are we going to see, in your mind, uh, let's say injuries are off and, and everything plays out for both these programs, will we see as competitive of a ball game as we saw up at Columbus last year? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a real chance for Notre Dame in that game. Because, again, I can probably count on one hand regular season games in the 18 years that I've covered Ohio State where the opponent had a better quarterback than Ohio State. Regular season, right? We're not talking about Deshaun Watson in the playoff. And it's possible that in that Notre Dame game with Sam Hartman, Notre Dame will have that. Sam Hartman, I think, is, you know, has made 40-plus career college starts. Ohio State starter will be making his fourth career start probably in that game. Kyle McCord started one game. It might be five for him. So you think about that, Notre Dame has awesome tackles offensively. Ohio State has real questions at offensive tackle. I, I feel like Notre Dame feels good about the way that it can defend the pass with some of the guys in its secondary. I think that's a game. I think that's a real game. Nothing to be taken for granted there. I thought Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame had a great game plan a year ago in the opener. And so that is not a sure thing. And there are, there are four games on the Ohio State schedule this year that are not sure things. That's more than usual. Normally, you can look at Ohio State's schedule and be like, I see nine or ten wins guaranteed. With Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin, I, I think I see four real games for them. And uh, I'm very excited for that game in South Bend because I, I think Notre Dame has a real chance. Season opener is at Indiana. How much are they going to beat Indiana by? <laughs> I was going to say, I do not think Indiana has a real chance in that one. So I will not go down that road. Um yeah, no, like I don't fifty. I don't know. Like they've got to, they've got to see what they have in that game. And I know, like we joke about it over here, but like also not actually joking. Justin Fry is Ohio State's offensive line coach. He's in year two. He came here, came to Ohio State to learn how to be a head coach. He's a former Indiana offensive lineman, and still so we are on a Justin Fry future Indiana Hoosiers head coach watch. Um, and depending how many. You know, Ohio State wins by in that game. Maybe that watch will become uh, an even even a little more interesting. But yeah, that's you know uh, the year was fifteen, right? Where where Indiana gave Ohio State a real game oh, and came down. Indiana's throwing a pass in the end zone on the last play of the game. I picked Indiana to win that game against Ohio State. So like, I am not 
always doubting the Hoosiers. I just am doubting them now. I just had to get a little sneak dig in there for Jimmy Cook because, you know, Illinois is a football powerhouse uh, now. Yeah. I mean, you look, I, I understand. Top five pick in the draft. I understand that Doug <laughs> is slightly joking when he throws 50 out there, but Ohio State's favored by 28 and a half. So if, the, if there's legitimate yeah. confidence behind 50, then I guess take 28 and a half to the bank if you're listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, i take that 28 and a half right now. <laughs> For sure. Give 28 and a half. 20, 28 and a half for Ohio State. Yeah, you know, they're going to, that's, that's much more like a 51 3 kind of game. For real. Not joking. For real. Oh, my goodness. Well, look, I appreciate you coming on, Doug, and spending some time with us. Um, we'll have to end on a better note, I guess, next time. Maybe not upset Listen, Jimmy. Man, you brought up Indiana football. If you want to end on a better note, don't end with an Indiana football question. <laughs> I'm going to let you walk out of this. I was going to say, look. You got to figure out how to land a plane. Hey, look. Hey. (laughs) I might have got in too deep. I'll probably get stoned whenever I leave the studio today. But, Doug, I appreciate you coming on in all seriousness, breaking down what it means for the Big Ten. And as I've said, as an Illinois grad, even the IU folks, Purdue folks, will thank our lucky stars that they're not on the outside looking in when it comes to a lot of this uh, changes. So you keep on podcasting, my friend, and maybe I'll give up these words someday myself. We'll see. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, fellas. Thanks, Doug. All right, that was Doug Lamarie's covers the Ohio State Buckeyes for the podcast. I didn't need that. Just once was fine. <laughs> Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Eddie playing jams throughout the day. Podcast the audience. <laughs> Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. It's a jam. It uh, is. All I think about is KB. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> KB joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. A lot to cover here. But first, KB, me and James looked at each other. We saw that, uh, looking back at that song, came out in 2002, 21 years ago. Um, and it's it's not the first time it's ever happened, but it's one of those, like, we looked at each other and like, man, like, it's a long, long time ago. Well, KB was like 30 at, the, at that point. Right, exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> so, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that's where I'm going with this. Kev, what, what was the first or what was one of the songs, if you can place it, where you looked back at when it was released and were like, oh my God, that was decades ago. Are we looking at a Soldier Boy song? Boy, I, well, it's a funny story out of Garrison. I went to a Soldier Boy concert at IU my freshman year. <laughs> um, part of the appeal uh, outside of the three Soldier Boy songs that I knew was you also got a free T-shirt for going to the concert. Nice. And boy, which, I, you know, I guess free, it kind of shows you how they can scam you when you're a, a college freshman. I think it was like a $20 
concert ticket and then boom oh you said t-shirt hell yeah i mean that makes that ticket worth you know 80 dollars as far as i'm concerned so yeah soldier boy would be up there when you said when you started playing the song first i got a little nervous i'm like where are we going with this intro here and then it did cross my mind i'm thinking why boy i kind of wonder what year that was and james boyd i was 13 thank you very much i didn't mean to age you that much kb yeah i know well trust me you know the hair it certainly isn't it isn't helping me out too many areas color or or the abundance of it but well we were sevens uh, just yeah. to make you feel better on that front just say just so you know <laughs> i, mean, I, I just want to throw it out there kb you probably had the greatest freshman year of anyone because i can imagine it was rocking with soldier boy i was at the peak of his powers he went number one. Oh, I, I can remember like it was yesterday to be honest with you it was spring semester yeah spring semester freshman year and I lived in Briscoe, which for anybody that's been on IU's campus, it's like the northernmost mm-hmm. dorm, uh, pretty much, you know, whatever, 500 yards from Assembly Hall, probably less than that, honestly. And it butts up to what, what used to be the tailgate fields. I'm sure that's not the politically correct term to describe them anymore, but it butts up to all those fields, and that's exactly where uh, where Soldier Boy had the concert. So, yeah, freshman year of college, that was a hell of a time. And now I want to listen to some Soldier Boy. Can you crank that on Wish TV when you uh <laughs> <laughs> But look Anthony Calhoun would give me if all of a sudden you know, with, with how this cult season might look in December, we might have to break up. Oh man. That might be the most normal thing that happens with how uh, this season might unfold with <laughs> Oh, man. Kev, there's a lot of different areas that I want to go through this conversation, but obviously big changes around here on the fan. Uh, It was announced formally on Kevin and Query today and also a press release, of course, on 1075thefan.com that a couple shakeups here uh, here on the midday show. Query and company is going to take over as Jake shifts over and they move through that process. And then, of course, for you, which it's a bittersweet moment, I'm sure, for both you and Jake because – We've thoroughly enjoyed Kevin and Query and what you and Mark Dykin have built, but now it's going to be the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Uh, take me through the the lead-up to this announcement, and then what what's next week going to, to hold for you guys? I know it's not like it's been a decade doing shows together, but uh, I'm sure there will be some unique aspects to the final week of that iteration of the show. Yeah, um, I appreciate you giving me a chance to uh, to, to chat about it for those who missed the show earlier today i'd say first thing um i am thrilled that by all accounts you know it sounds like it'll be you and jake through that first week uh when they do start the querying company i I think you deserve um every opportunity that you've earned and 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 continue to get those opportunities so i'm very happy to hear that Um, thanks man i appreciate that i guess secondly yeah i I don't yeah i said this today i don't (laughs) not a big change guy i'm probably a naturally like risk averse human and you know, it feels like, and I think, you know, Jake would agree with this. You know, it's probably taken a little bit of time for us to really find our stride. And I don't know, it sounds a bit selfish and a bit egotistical to say it, but I do feel like we have kind of found a really nice niche. And I, I hope it's a good listen. I feel like we do complement each other pretty well. So there is an emotion that, you know, there is just a little bit of a bummer. And I'm like, oh, man, is it going to take a long time to create that with Andy? But, you know, everything I heard about Andy Sweeney and, and from chatting with him, seems like a great individual certainly is a guy that uh, I think will bring some strong opinions which you know I guess that's kind of similar to 
to Jake as well, but he wore a lot of hats down there with ESPN Louisville from a programming standpoint, running the show there. Obviously, from a host, I've, I've been, you know, I've listened to his show. He's a really talented guy. And I, you know, when you're in a Louisville market, I don't think you're that far away from our market, whether it's collegiately, certainly, but even the pro sports teams, you know, from no NBA team, and they actually air Colts games down there. They are affiliate of ours coming. Um, Coming on game day and everything. So I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it and, and learning from him because he's got a ton of experience, again, wearing a lot of different hats. And I, I think Jake has kind of helped me grow as a host. And hopefully Andy Andy will do the same. And, and strictly from a station standpoint, um, I do think it's something that, that, that makes some sense because Jake certainly is a very established voice and, and, and brand in this uh, in this market. And um from that end, I think it makes some makes some sense to spread that out. Yeah, we're really looking forward in general to getting the opportunity to work with Jake from noon to three, and, and I can't wait to see uh, what all unfolds and what that becomes and what he's able to turn it into. For next week's shows, is there any, like looking back at what you guys have done the last two years, guests that uh, we really need to have on the show, and is Joey Chestnut on that list? Duke's Mayo. that is a great question i think when we made the announcement at 9 a.m today i would have to guess that mark dykton played 67 animal sounds and or query uh slip ups via audio i think he actually slid in one or two of mine i'm thinking wait a minute we're still working together man Uh, i wasn't really following that but i'm sure mark will continue to empty out that library over the next five days. I think Andy's going to join us for a bit. I, I don't know how often he will be there. We'll obviously be up at Grand Park for our final uh, camp-related show. That'll be on Tuesday morning, you know, night practice Wednesday, Thursday. And then I am looking forward, you know, week from Friday, not only obviously to be on with, with you per, per usual, mm-hmm. but um, being out there at the back nine and, and getting a chance to talk with listeners because, again, that opportunity doesn't present itself as much as it presents, you know, John or, you know, the ability to do a lot of remote shows. And I think Andy will be out there as well. So I think that'll be a fun time to get, not not only get to know him a little bit more, but, um, but our listeners, but I have a feeling um, Jake will treat next week. Like uh, the final has been given in the class two weeks early. <laughs> and now the teacher expects you to behave for the final two weeks. And uh, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that behavior will probably be um, a bit, a bit reckless. <laughs> I was going to say, if it was anything like I was in school, <laughs> as soon as that final is in there, Everything else is off the books. I'm not doing anything else. You know, you, you can forget yeah. it. But right, right at we, that point, <laughs> we do have one big test. Uh, I guess preliminary test, a pre-exam, if you want to call it, preseason game for Anthony Richardson. What do you think of his opportunity to start? Number one and number two. The I, I guess the why behind starting him. Obviously, there was not a set in stone decision until Shane Steichen announced one yesterday. Yeah, I. I think, James, one of the bigger takeaways that I've had over the last four or five months is, you know, obviously when they drafted him, the only thing they could do was, you know, speak about Anthony Richardson. And, you know, from the night of the draft, I mean, Shane Steichen and Jim Mercy, probably more than any of the big three, throw in Chris Ballard during that draft weekend, they were pretty adamant to being open to playing him, you know, early in this rookie season. While, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, you know, maybe it comes from a little bit of an older school of thought that says, oh, no, you got to sit the rookie quarterback, particularly one of 13 starts. And if you look through the first 10 practices, you know, certainly Richardson's taken the more starting reps, and now you're going to throw him out there against Buffalo's number ones, which, you know, I know Buffalo is not going to have everybody out there, but this is still the second-ranked scoring defense in the NFL last season. So clearly their words and now their actions have kind of backed up. We're going to give this kid 
a chance to whatever, either show himself or simply just get exposed to some very, very valuable reps. And, you know, Saturday starts a really a, I guess it's a 12-day period, if my math is right, where you're going to get six big-time evaluation points. And I say big-time for the month of August. You know, whether it's the three preseason games or the three joint practices, this is where, as Chris Bauer said at the start of camp, you can get a little bit of a truer evaluation mark on Richardson. So, um, again, it's not shocking to me based on what they said in the spring. I've always been, been an advocate for playing him early, and um, I think it also allows Anthony Richardson to kind of be himself. You know, when he is in a camp setting – you probably see Gardner Minshew like 85 to 90% of himself. I would argue Anthony Richardson is like 50 to 60% of himself because you do have the red jersey on. You have a, a leg element to his game that Minshew just doesn't have to that degree. And now you take off that red jersey. And obviously there can be good and bad that come out of that. But I think more than anything, you're going to get just a little bit of a truer evaluation than what we've had so far through the first couple of weeks at Grand Park. KB, part of that evaluation will be alluding – pressure and actually facing real pressure people who can actually hit you because you're not in a red jersey anymore and Anthony Richardson said yesterday he's looking forward to that first hit because when he gets hit he knows he's in the game what did you think of that comment considering the last guy who was here liked to get hit as well and obviously walked away from the game because um, the hits piled up yeah, I'll never forget the line Mike Sanford, Stanford offensive coordinator, used to describe Andrew Luck. And I guess it's not really a line, but it's more of a story about how Luck wanted a deep shot in the game plan within the first five plays of that script. So when the game started, he wanted a deep shot called at some point early in the game because he wanted to take a hit to feel like he was a part of the game and felt like he was never really truly into the game until he took that hit. Um, you know, sounds pretty crazy. Certainly it's a linebacker mindset. Obviously we could go off on a three hour story about how that could and possibly contributed to Andrew Luck's career stopping before the age of 30. But why would we rehash that? So, you know, Richardson is a guy that I think he's got pretty good poise in the pocket. You know, that was a popular thing. The Colts liked out of him from Florida. So yeah, I mean, anytime you have a quarterback that's going to hang in there and is going to be willing to, um, extend plays and look downfield, you're naturally going to take some shots. And that fine balance, and I think Buffalo fans feel it with Josh Allen, mm-hmm. you know, Baltimore fans have felt it with Lamar Jackson. I mean, hell, I feel like you know Jimmy probably feels it a little bit. Granted, Mahomes maybe doesn't take as many hits. It's the give and take. It's what makes these guys so unique and so rare and so dynamic. But you also certainly run the risk of those hits starting to pile up. So, you know, that storyline with Luck was a huge one. I mean, remember how awkward he looked as a slider? It was so painful watching Andrew Luck try and slide <laughs> in the open field. And I, I felt like it, it maybe it was a joke. And then I thought for a second, this needs to be real. Like, uh, oh, the Indianapolis Indians have tweeted to the Colts that they've invited Andrew Luck to Victory Field to help learn how to slide because it was so awkward. You know, Richardson's going to get to a point where those things are going to be more of a storyline. But I think for the first time in a long time, probably since Luck, you you now have that element at quarterback where I even think back to that Monday night game with the Steelers back in the fall, and I don't think you classify Kenny Pickett as a runner by any means, but there were moments in that game where the Colts, I felt like, had Pickett bottled up, and he just made a couple of plays with his legs, and they don't even have to show up in the box score. It doesn't have to be a 20-yard scramble, and no one is better at that than Mahomes. Just the ability to slide a little, avoid the first sack, 
and boom, now you're making a corner have to defend from you know 3.2 seconds to 5.2 seconds. And that's when guys get tired. That's when guys get grabby. And can you create a play that is a big play? That is an element that I think Richardson will bring. And obviously, the recent statues at quarterback have not brought that for the Colts. The luck sliding thing always reminded me of former Cubs, former Red Sox pitcher John Lester and his struggles to throw to first. It's like that should be something that is just, just it's second nature and it should be an easy thing. But yeah, it, it always looked just painful or, or very awkward. And that's, uh, I did forgotten all about that. Kevin Bona with us here on the Fan Midday Show. KB, are Colts fans right to fully trust Shane Steichen in the bringing along of Anthony Richardson. And the reason I say that, or nearly you think, well, yeah, he's the coach. Why wouldn't they trust him? Is because this is his first year. This is his first real opportunity as a head coach. And I've been stressing all along that if you fail at your first opportunity, you basically got to start back on level one to get back up to being a head coach. He's not going to rush along what he thinks is his prized jewel at quarterback unless he really thinks he's ready. He's not the week one starter yet, but is it fair to say that there should be some level of trust that – Shane Steichen has no pressure to start Anthony Richardson ahead of schedule, but he believes he has earned this opportunity tomorrow in Buffalo. Yeah, I, you know, it's a great question in terms of like, has he earned it? I, I you know, I don't know if necessarily he's earned it, but I just think when you make that draft pick, when you make that commitment, what you're also saying is you are going to commit to seeing if he's ready before he's really ready, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I hear people counter the play Richardson early from everybody says, well, he's not ready. Well, doesn't he need, in order to get ready, doesn't he have to play? Yes. Like at some point, you've just got to commit. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do, particularly as an NFL franchise. But I would think there are a lot of case studies, and you could probably say this about a, about a lot of sports, but I would say football um, would and quarterback would be near the top of the list of, you know, guys that maybe their careers would have gone wildly differently had they give, been given more of an opportunity or even be put into a different environment. You know, okay, what if Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf would have flip-flopped? What if Robert Griffin and Andrew Luck would have flip-flopped? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it all would have worked out in the same exact way, but maybe Leaf doesn't go down that fullback, and maybe he does because, you know, he's been very open about his immaturity, and all of that. But it gets back to the other points of once you make the selection of Richardson, now the two most important things are support and development. And they go hand in hand, but that's kind of where we're at right now with it. And and I think Richardson is wired in a way that, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to act like I know the dude by any means. But in listening to him and talking to people that are around him in football-type settings, I think he comes across as a guy that can handle – a lot of what is thrown at an NFL quarterback, which is a ton. I mean, hell, look at you know what Johnny Manziel, and I know that documentary is probably a little bit fresh in my mind, but everything that he went through, and you know his was probably a little bit more college-based. Um, but I think Richardson says the right things. Um, again, behind the scenes, it seems like he acts in a way that you would want him to act. And now it's like, all right, let's put him in these settings because these are the better evaluation points, and let's see what you have and see what you need to work on. So I do think Shane Steichen is a guy that his background fits um, being the right type of coach to handle this major developmental project. I remember saying this after they they drafted Richardson. If Jeff Saturday, Wink Martindale, 
Raheem Morris. I'm trying to think of the other you know coaching candidates they had. If, if those guys would have been the head coach, I don't know if you make the selection of Richardson. Because let's say you hire Raheem Morris. You know, by all accounts, deserves to be a head coach again. Um, you know, I think it's probably probably only a matter of time. But then you hire an offensive coordinator, and if you have early success with that offensive coordinator, well, that's great. That offensive coordinator probably gets a head coaching job somewhere else. So now it's like, all right, are you scrambling to find the support coaching-wise for Richardson? Whereas with Steichen, you know the offense is going to be here. He's very open-minded considering his background and, and what you need to run and how you need to cater to that quarterback. And theoretically, he's going to be the play caller for you know as long as Anthony Richardson is here, at least a long, long period of that. So I think when you add up all of that, that marriage, which is so critical, and obviously Peyton Manning had with Tom Mora for years, uh, that looks to be in place on paper, and that's a huge, huge part of this. You talked about life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. A little bit there. He's committed to calling the plays. So I know while this won't be like priority number one for what us watching Saturday, that'll be Anthony Richardson, of course. I am curious to see how he calls the game throughout, you know, that first team unit, however you know long they're out there. Because as much as we talked about it being Anthony Richardson's debut, it's also Shane Steichen's debut. So how do you see that unfolding? Do you think it's set in stone, KB, that he's just going to call the plays no matter what? Or do you think he could possibly be using this preseason game and even some of these early games coming up throughout the regular season to evaluate if he wants to stay committed to that? Because we've seen coaches say that at the beginning and then, you know, kind of get hit in the face a little bit like, wow, I have a lot to do, you know, going forward. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think the month of August will – deter him too much in that. I mean, right. James, I I don't want to speak for you, but he strikes me as an uber-confident <laughs> individual. And a very I mean, organized guy, by the way, yes. Yeah, I mean, he is the he is the quietest, cockiest dude I, I, I feel like I've come across in a, in, a, in a coaching sense. You know, I can just feel like if I were to say that to him behind the scenes, he'd look at me and be like, just trust me. You know, it'd be one of those moments of like, I don't need to outwardly express how confident I am in it, but did you see what happened when Nick Sirianni handed me the play calling duties in Philly and how we took off with that and, you know, the amount of points they put up in the Super Bowl, you know, all of those things. So I think he's going to have to be hit pretty hard in, you know, poor game management or poor clock management or something along those lines for him to give up those sorts of duties, I do think it's something you, you have to look at and you have to evaluate because the NFL game is so chaotic and the situational football of it can decide pretty much 
70, 80 percent of your games week in and week out. You know, very rarely do games turn into blowouts where you just check out in the fourth quarter. I mean, two minute situations and you know, red zone situations, field goal, fourth down, this, that. I mean, all of those debates, all of those things are going to be huge. And obviously, he's got people in the booth to help him out with that. But I, I don't think the preseason has a whole lot to do with it. I mean, let's be honest with, you know, Shane Sackett's going to walk into Buffalo and what is he, he's going to call 12 different plays the whole game? I mean, it's not like he's going to call a whole lot of different plays. Greg Regstraw brought up the, um, you know, turned it into an ice cream flavor analogy earlier today of this is going to be vanilla, 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 even when, you know, it's Richardson or Minshew or Ellinger. Maybe you do call a read option or two, but it's going to be your most basic sort of read option look. So, again, I don't know how much we'll get it here in August, but I do think as you get into the regular season, you know, Sirianni, what, gave up the play calling, I think it was like six or seven games into his rookie season. I do think knowing Nick, I think Nick Sirianni is a little bit more outwardly emotional. <laughs> he is. And maybe that kind of got to him. And I think all, everybody can, can see that. Maybe that got to him a little bit, whereas Shane's a little bit more I – mean, he's, he's emotional, but I think he can control it and a little bit more subdued in that manner with, you know, expressing that. So maybe he will handle it a little bit better. I need Superman ice cream, by the way. That's what I need. <laughs> Don't even well, I hope you get one on this Friday afternoon. <laughs> um, speaking of guys who are kind of fiery, Shaq Leonard is one of them. Would you play him through the preseason, KB, or would you just be like, hey, let's just continue to get you better, continue to get you reps in practice, and just start this thing during the regular season? I, I'm stunned that I'm saying this, because if we would have this conversation two and a half weeks ago, I would have said, no way. Um, I'd like to see him for a couple of series at some point over the next three weeks. Mm. I mean, from a workload standpoint, James, I, I, he's certainly upticked the two or three 11-on-11 plays he was doing each practice to kind of start camp. So, you know, let's say it's a six-play defensive series. You know, maybe you play him for three or four of those plays. And I think it's just good for him to see himself on film in a game. Um, you know, he can kind of evaluate himself because I think that's that's been a big thing in this process. And kudos to him because 10 practices into camp, for me, the, the Leonard storyline now when we get back to Grand Park and if he does play in any preseason action has changed from how many reps he's taking, how often he's practicing, to what does he look like with those reps. Like right. we, We've gone from quantity to now judging quality, and I'm shocked that this early in camp it's already gotten there with Leonard. But um, the fact that he's done so much work – I mean, he's practiced every day, right? Unless I'm missing something. I'm pretty sure he's practiced yeah, every Yeah, he's been there day. every day. Yeah, and, and like practice, practice, you know, not like, oh, yeah, he did just individual drills for the first four days of camp, like actually did team stuff. Uh, I say you throw him out there for for a little bit, and, and maybe it's a key evaluation point for the Colts. You know, maybe they look at him in a game setting and say, ooh, boy, I don't know about that. Let's now, you know, week one, the game plan for Leonard might not be the amount of snaps that we thought it would be, or maybe it looks really, really good and they feel like they can play him a little bit more in week one. So, again, I'm stunned that I'm saying that, but you know, kudos to Leonard for uh, already getting there. The fans own Kevin Bowen with us. You know him as Colts beat writer of 107.5thefan.com and, of course, of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan, and soon to be the wake-up call with KB and Andy with Andy Sweeney set to join. Last thing on the Colts front from me, KB, 
I understand that the phrase weird week at camp and Indianapolis Colts are synonyms <laughs> at this point. Like they're, I get it. They're connected to the hip, but weird week, particularly on the running back front with cream hunt coming in and, and allegedly an offer being made and then nothing coming of that. And then they went up with Jason Huntley instead as, as a depth move, I think, on the running back front, at least as you look out there at the free agent market, uh, the Zach Moss injury and no JT, are they done adding bodies or will we see more of that in the coming weeks potentially? It's a great question, Jimmy. I mean, they clearly seem to be looking to add bodies. I do find it interesting, like, you know, how much of this is Jonathan Taylor related? You know, obviously when Kenyon Drake was brought in, I think a lot of that was the Zach Moss injury. Well, now it almost seems like they've gone another step. And I get it, Deion Jackson's a little bit banged up. But, you know, they've, they've, they've quickly kind of ramped up the need to go out there and, and find running backs. And, you know, obviously when you look at the healthy guys right now, it's a ton of an experience outside of Kenyon Drake. But it, we will continue to get there slowly but surely in the coming days and coming weeks. But it just seems like we're starting to get a little bit more action on the Jonathan Taylor situation. And maybe the Kenyon Drake thing wasn't that, but I think the offer for Kareem Hunt is at least something. Like, I don't – a healthy Zach – I mean, Zach Moss, by all accounts, is going to be ready in September at some point. It's not like he's going to mm-hmm. be out for half the season. So, if you're willing to bring in Kareem Hunt, I mean, you could look at Zach Moss last year and Kareem Hunt last year and think, boy, I, I maybe would rather have Zach Moss, uh, considering the age, considering the familiarity with your offensive line. Um, contractually, I mean, he's just playing out the final year of his contract. And not to say that, yeah, I don't know, maybe Kareem Hunt wants multiple years on his deal, you know, at the age of 28. To me, that's a bit of wishful thinking. But I don't know. It just, there's a little bit more smoke with that, I feel like, than just this simple camp body. Yes, they have, they are banged up at running back. There's no denying that. But I, I don't think Kareem Hunt, and you could make the argument Kenyon Drake, I, I don't think either of them would walk into a situation right now where a team's saying, oh, yeah, we might cut you at the end of camp. I, I would feel like both of them, especially Hunt, looks at it and says, no, no, no. If I'm joining a team, I'm joining a team to have a role, and, and that would be you know some sort of rotational or a starter if Jonathan Taylor's you know, saga extends into the regular season. DJT Saga, I feel like you have owned the JT beat so far, KB. For those listeners out there, KB, make sure to ask about JT pretty much every day. I feel like I've gotten two out of like the last five days we've been out there. But you got a little bit more from Shane Steichen than I guess all of us anticipated yesterday when he was saying, kind of hesitated, but he did say, you know, he should be back with the team next week. Did not say whether he would be like actually practicing at some point before the preseason ends. But what is your take on the situation that now has got another layer to it because JT is not visibly present every day in his hoodie? Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I'll echo just a little bit of what what I just said, James. I feel like we're starting to get to some finality with it. Um, you know, we'll obviously see how things play out next week. Uh, you know, when they're up there for the final three days of camp, you know, that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So they only practice three times before their next preseason game. I can't imagine Taylor practices. I mean, maybe he does on Tuesday, but if you're Jonathan Taylor, and even if you're the Colts, would you want his first practice to be against another team? I mean, that, that that's not a very controlled environment. And I, I might be getting way ahead of myself with even throwing that idea out there. So if you cross next week off the calendar – 
then you go to, I, I guess it'd be a week from Monday, right? It'd be the 21st. That's only a practice on the 21st, and then they head to Philly on the 22nd. So, again, you, you're with your own team two days after a preseason game. That's going to be a pretty light practice. And then you go to Philly for the joint practice. If he doesn't go on either of those two days, you've crossed off that week. So now all of a sudden, if you look even further into the calendar, you're like two to three weeks out from the regular season opener. And by that point, for a guy that hasn't practiced in nine months, you would think he's got to get out there. Um, So that's where, again, I feel like we are starting to reach these points. Again, I don't have a great feel for one way or the other. I think there's real friction. I think there's both sides very dug in the sand on this. And I, I, I don't see this being a simple solution that we, you know, wake up at, you know, whatever tomorrow morning and it's, oh, yeah, Taylor, three years, $39 million. Everything's good to go. He'll be back at Grand Park on Tuesday. A deadline's typically spur action, but with this one, um, it's going to spur some action. I just don't think it's going to lead to maybe the Hollywood ending that, you know, we thought was possible at the start of camp. I just think of the CBA and maybe just waving a few copies of that in the direction of JT because, I mean, unless Ursay comes off the no trade, you know, thing, and he's right. like, we'll just get and, rid and of I him. Think that's, I think that's the only counter, James. It's You've got to sit down as an organization. And I get Jim Ursay being fired up two hours after being on the bus with Jonathan Taylor and wanting to get that. We're not trading him now. We're not trading him in October. And that sounds good in the moment. But if you have a plan as an organization where you don't want this guy – on a multi-year contract, then in my opinion, you have to get some return on him. You, you you can't let him walk for nothing. And again, I don't think that we're necessarily at that point yet, but I think that's a very real discussion. It it's great, you know, hold up the hold up the cardboard on the ruler, and you know, you're out there, and you've got your picket sign out, and you're saying, <laughs> "Oh, I'm standing up for owners, and we're not paying running back." The Colts aren't in a position as a franchise to make statements. You can't you, you can't play that game right now. You, you, this is way too precious of a time for your young quarterback. Either you continue to roll with uh, Jonathan Taylor and extend him, or you trade him and try to get a draft pick in here pretty quickly to where um, you could help out Richardson a little bit earlier. Because I've heard some people say, and Eddie and I talked about this on our podcast earlier in the week. You know, let let Taylor walk in free agency. You'll get a cop pick down the road. Not to get too into the weeds with that, but that comp pick coming back would be for 2025. I mean, that's deep into the Richardson rookie deal to where you would like to make a decision on mm-hmm. Richardson by that point of, of where it's kind of going with them. So that's why I think you, you've got to act on this as quickly as possible by either keeping him around or moving him. Well, KB, appreciate your time, man, your insight, your soldier boy, memory lane. Soldier uh, boy, tell him. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I'll see you soon, man. And we'll honestly have real football to talk about after this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that for sure. Congrats on everything, KB. Thank you, boys. Uh, you guys have a great weekend, and we'll chat next Friday. All right. That's KB, the fans' own. Obviously, big news on his side with the show. Congratulations to him again because he is one of the best. In, oh, yeah. You know, I joke about him being old and all that, but no, he is one of the <laughs> nicest guys I've met since I've joined the indie market and couldn't be happier for him at all.